וגם אני פתאום רואה את הקולות. Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, Director of the Columbus Community Kolel, and it's a great honor and privilege to bring to you our next episode featuring Rabbi Chaim David Zwiebel, Executive Vice President of Agudath Israel of America. And we talk about the state of American Jewry, a fascinating conversation. I had the opportunity to meet Rabbi Zwiebel at the Agudah Convention uh, just you know, a few months ago, and I was just so amazed by the Anivas, his humility, his midos, his character, how, what an incredible person and leader he is. And it's not just him, his incredible team, um, Rabbi Naftali Miller, Rabbi Shai Markowitz, Rabbi Avi Schnell, and here in Ohio, Rabbi Yitz Frank, and there are many more that I'm, I'm probably forgetting, but such incredible people that he works, uh, that, that work, that he works with on a daily level that are literally doing so much for, for the Klaal. And thankfully, thankfully, we've had the opportunity to follow up with some of them. Uh, Rabbi Naftali Miller, who uh, who we've been in touch with here, and of course Yitz uh, Frank, who we see sometimes here in Columbus. Such a great team that they have advocating for the Klal, and we're really excited to bring to you this episode. I'd like to thank our media sponsor, Columbus Jewish News (CJN) as our new partnership. We're very excited for that. We want to thank them for. Uh, for being our sponsor on uh, for this and all of our episodes. And without further ado, let me tell you about our guest. Rabbi Chaim David Zwiebel is the Executive Vice President of Agudath Israel of America. Zwiebel joined the organization as Vice President after first working for many years at a law firm. He attended Brooklyn College and Cordoza Law School and worked as a lawyer at Paul Rice, Rifkin, Warren, and Garrison. Rabbi Zwiebel, thank you so much for joining Kolot. A pleasure and an honor. Thank you. So I want to ask you first, for starters, um, Agudath Israel of America is an organization that I'm sure many, many people have heard of. Um, maybe not everyone, but definitely many of our listeners have heard of Agudath Israel. But we may not necessarily know what exactly the organization is all about, um, what it stands for, the mission of Agudath Israel. Can you walk us through, um, I guess in a snapshot, what is your organization? Great. Well, <clears throat> happens to be that we're, we're having this conversation as we're celebrating our 100th birthday uh, in 1922. Not bad, right? Not bad. Not More than bad. 20 years to come in Mir Hashem, but yeah. I, and I can't say that I remember it well, but uh, at least uh, so, so, so we are told that in 1922, a group of young people on the Lower East Side of Manhattan uh, got together and said, you know, there is this movement that was founded in, in Europe, bringing together, uniting the Orthodox Jewish communities of Eastern Europe and Western Europe, Poland and Hungary and Germany and uh, a variety of different uh, countries, Switzerland. Uh, and uh, this was founded by the great Gedoli Yisrael, the Chavetz Chaim and the Gera Rebbe and the Chartkova Rebbe and Rav Chaim Isaac Rajensky. And these names are, are names that we all, uh, we, we all recognize as having been among the Gedoli Olam of their time. Uh, and they felt that it was important 
for Klal Yisrael through its different uh, its different customs and traditions and the different the backgrounds and so on. But we're all really part of one machane. We're part of one community, one large community. Uh, and it's important to try to, and bring uh, some sense of of unity amongst the, the different groups and the different traditions and the different backgrounds and have everybody sit together uh, and become a, a more powerful force as a result. Uh, politically, uh, remember this goes back to 1912, 110 years ago, and that was a time in Europe when the, uh, the winds of change were blowing very, very hard. Uh, both uh, both politically and spiritually, there were a lot of things going on at that time. And the Gedali Yisrael felt that by creating this concept of an Agudas Yisrael or Agudat Yisrael, bringing together an Aguda, an Aguda means like a bundle, bundling everybody together, uh, would enable us uh, to maximize our strength and uh, and deal with the issues and the, and the challenges of the day in a much more effective and forceful way. Uh, those those young men on the lower east side of Manhattan said to themselves, well, why should this be confined only to Europe? We too want to build a Torah community here in the United States and the shores of the United States, and we're trying to do so, and, and we desperately need to be connected to the larger Jewish community, the larger Torah community all across all across the world, all across the globe. So in 1922, a group of young idealistic Bacharim uh, started a, a little group, uh, and it became the American arm, so to say, of the World Aguda movement. Uh, and uh, to this very day, we still have uh, an international presence. There is an Aguda Israel in, 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 in Eretz Israel, and as, uh, which is politically active in the state of Israel. Uh, we have an Aguda Israel in England, we have in Switzerland, we have a number of different uh, uh, arms of the of the Aguda world movement. The, the single strongest uh, arm, I think, the, other than perhaps Eretz Yisrael, is the one here in the United States, which, as I say, was founded in 1922. And much of what we have accomplished over the years, historically, uh, those early years, uh, it was more a sense of just building from, from within and, and trying to uh, expand a little bit. But then during the war years, uh, Agudis Yisrael became a very active player in the rescue and relief activities uh, that were being directed toward European Jewry uh, in the period leading up to, during, and following the Holocaust. Uh, and um, Aguda at that time was very, very active under the leadership of a great hero by the name of Mike Tress, who was the uh, president of the Aguda, uh, Elimelech Gavriel Tress, Zechariah Levracha. Uh, and then following him, uh, Rabbi Moshe Sherez, Zechariah Levracha, who happened to have been a cousin of uh, Elimelech Tress, of Mike Tress. Uh, and uh, after Mr. Tress's passing, uh, Rabbi Sherer took over in the 1960s and helped build the organization into a national organization with, uh, with chapters in, where today we have chapters in approximately 30 states across the country. Uh, we have offices in about 10 states across the country in Washington, D.C. Uh, and much of what we do is, uh, is what I'll call advocacy on behalf of the community uh, to uh, uh, to uh, take advantage of the opportunities of the United States of America, which is uh, known to us as a malchus shel chesed. It's a government of chesed uh, that has been kind to our people, at least thus far has been kind to the Jewish people. Uh, and there are all kinds of uh, freedoms that are guaranteed constitutionally uh, for, uh, for the free exercise of religion. Uh, there's an opportunity to build yeshivas, 
uh, and having ch and have children uh, obtain a proper and appropriate Jewish education. Uh, and government not only is not a hindrance or has not been a hindrance to this, but has actively uh, been of assistance uh, in, in this great renaissance of Jewish life. Uh, you know, the prognosticators, uh, the professional prognosticators painted a very gloomy picture of the future of Orthodox Jewry uh, in the United States, of, uh, of people who would be observant uh, Jews in the United States. And they figured that the processes of assimilation uh, and uh, the freedoms that America had to offer uh, would result ultimately in uh, the slow but slowly but surely the dissolution of the uh, of the uh, Orthodox Jewish community, the, the observant Jewish community. But on the contrary, we've been growing uh, at a time, for example, right now when our, when children enrolled in non-public schools and Catholic schools and in uh, Lutheran schools and other types of schools uh, that are non-Jewish have been have been constricting. The, the numbers have been declining. Uh, and school buildings are being closed and sold and so on. Uh, in the Jewish community, and particularly in the uh, in the Orthodox Jewish community, our numbers are growing. Uh, and uh, here in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we have we have not assimilated into oblivion, uh, although there's unfortunately and tragically a lot of that, and that's something that we need to be very cognizant of. Uh, but at the same time, there has been this remarkable and wonderful renaissance of uh, traditional Torah observant Jewish life that would have made our Zaydis and Babis proud, uh, I think. Uh, and, and I'm very proud to say that, uh, that the Aguda, Aguda of Israel of America, has played a very significant role through our advocacy efforts and through our Torah projects uh, uh, division, uh, which encourages the study of Torah, at not only for yeshiva age children, but also for young adults, senior citizens, and everybody in between. Uh, this is something which is uh, part and parcel of, of our mission, growing Torah, growing Torah in all kinds of different ways. And with Hashem's help, uh, we have seen tremendous Hatzlacha. May Hashem help us further. Wow, beautiful. By the way, I, I'm from Atlanta, where we say uh, the land of the free and the home of the braves. But, <laughs> uh, the, but um, you, you know, you remind me of something that uh, that was said earlier in a different episode. A, a few months ago, we had on a, a mentor of mine, Rabbi Aaron Cutler, and he, he talked about um, something very in a, similar, but in a di slightly different context. When his grandfather came, I asked him, what did your grandfather start? And he said, Hill, my, my grandfather didn't start anything. He just restored what we believe in and what we stand for. And it sounds like with, you know, the Aguda bringing together, you know, things which are not new, just things that we can't let get scattered. Because, you know, in the 20th century, there was these... Um, you know, there were these movements of, you know, Judaism now becoming great big hospitals and synagogues and, you know, you know, and things about justice, which, you know, we, we definitely need great synagogues and hospitals, but there's more than that. Um, and it sounds like um, Rabbi Scherer and uh, Rebelli Melech had a uh, had a similar vision. There was a great article written in, I think it was the Jewish Action that covered some of them. And we probably can't get into the whole thing, but. Right. Before we move on, can you tell us maybe what you think their legacy is, Rabbi Scherer and Rebelli Melech? Well, I, you know, they're both heroes. Uh, I never had the privilege of of knowing uh, uh, Mike Tress uh, on a personal level. He passed away when I was uh, pre bar mitzvah. Uh, I'd heard his name, but I never met him. But you know, in reading about him and hearing about him from people who did know him, uh, he was a remarkable, inspirational figure. Uh, he had extraordinary charisma. 
uh, and his love for the Jewish people knew no bounds. He was he himself had limited uh, yeshiva background, yeshiva education background, uh, but nonetheless he revered uh, the idea of yeshiva education. He revered the idea of Torah Judaism, uh, and 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 looked up to the Gedolei Yisrael, to the great scholars of, of of Jewish law, the people who were steeped in Torah learning. Uh, as the real leaders of the Jewish people and the Jewish generation, and those were those were qualities that he, uh, through the, through the force of his personality, uh, he exuded uh, so much uh, warmth and passion uh, for for this vision of Judaism that he just attracted many many people to his side, and he and he was tireless. He he spent he spent time in the DP camps right after the war. Uh, and he went from from DP camp to DP camp, and he and, and he met people, and he gave them comfort. And when they came to America, many of them, the refugees who came to the United States to to resettle, they remembered that there was a that they had a friend named Mike Tress and Agudath Israel, and there was an Agudath Israel in America, so they flocked to it. And that's many of the Sha'eris Haplaitayidin, the the Jewish refugees who came here after the war, did flock to Agudath Israel in large part because. They 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 related to the to, to Mike Tress. So I, I I've always thought of him in that respect. Rabbi Scherer, I did have the privilege of knowing personally. I worked uh, kind of at his right hand for about four, the last fourteen years of his life. Uh, you mentioned before that I'm a lawyer. I, I started my career at one of the uh, largest law firms in in the United States, Paul Weiss Rifkin, uh, and every every one of the lawyers there, uh, the senior lawyers especially, were incredibly brilliant and you know I was exposed to the, the, the highest uh, intellect and legal minds in the country uh, in the four and a half years that I practiced law there. I came to uh, work for the Aguda in 1984 after four and a half years at uh, Paul Weiss uh, and at the Aguda I met Rabbi Moshe Shara. I had met him before but I got to know Rabbi Moshe Shara. Rabbi Moshe Shara was the most brilliant man that I have ever had the privilege of, of meeting uh, far more so uh, than any of the lawyers uh, that I had worked with at Paul Weiss. And you know what? Rabbi Sherrod never went to college. He was a high school graduate, never went to college. Uh, and, and nonetheless, his uh, articulate, smooth, professional uh, approach toward things was, was really at the highest level. He was a diplomat of extraordinary skill. Uh, and he too was exuded a certain charm and charisma that brought people close to him. And he especially was the one who saw Agudath Israel with a grand vision of what it could be. Uh, so it was active during the years of rescue and relief after the Second World War. And when eventually the, that period uh, concluded. Um, so what's, for the, what's there for the Agudah to do? And he said, Agudah can be and should be a national organization. You know, we should work for the Jews in New York and uh, and New Jersey and in Columbus, Ohio, and where, wherever wherever there are Jewish communities, we should have advocates advocating their interests, their rights, their freedoms, uh, uh, combating against efforts which would in some way erode uh, the protections that, to which they are entitled. Uh, and we have, as uh, really uh, under Rabbi Shera's uh, leadership, have become a national or, uh, organization. Uh, with um, with a with a very tangible presence uh, in different parts of the country, uh, and uh, to to this I, I say, Rabbi Shari, Kolakavod, uh, without your vision that this is what one day could be, we never would have reached this stage uh, of of where we are today. You 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 mentioned that you joined the Aguda in the eighties. 
Uh, and you also mentioned some of the early accomplishments um, since its founding in the 20s. Um, more recently, what would you say the biggest accomplishment of Agudath Israel is? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that uh, looking at this from a national perspective, uh, the fact that today compared to, let's say, 15 years ago, and, and maybe it's even less than that, there are so many more states and municipalities that have act, have what we call school choice programs. And school choice programs, you know about this in Ohio? I think you do. Bit. Yeah. A little it's bit. Right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, right. And 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 what we see what we see in Ohio, we see in a number of the other states across the United States. Um, and um, I think this has been, you know, we have emerged as one of the most prominent national uh, voices. Uh, in support of of educational choice, and educational choice basically is is government saying to the uh, to 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 our to, to parents, parents, we recognize that it's your child, uh, and you have the right, and uh, and and we we want to support that right uh, to educate your child as you deem appropriate in the school of of your choice, uh, and we're not going to force you. Uh, to attend public school just because you can't afford to pay the tuition of the private school. We're not going to turn the private school into a public school, but at the same time, we're going to support your choice. We're going to find it a way to make your tuition bills uh, a little bit less uh, daunting than they otherwise would be. And I think that as a result of these kinds of school choice programs that exist today in, in many states around the country, and uh, you know, and in no small measure due to the work uh, of Agudath Israel and other like-minded organizations. I don't pretend we're the only ones on the playing field, but we certainly have made a very, very substantial contribution. I'll never forget uh, the, the the site of Betsy DeVos, the, pre, the previous uh, United States Secretary of Education, uh, testifying and during her confirmation hearings uh, when she was nominated for the post and sitting right beside her, immediately behind her, uh, was Rabbi A.D. Motzen, who is uh, Agudath Israel's uh, director for state state relations uh, all across the United States. And that's because she, Secretary DeVos, had come to rely on A.D. as one of the uh, great experts in the United States on these issues. And in fact, he, he was and is. And so too are all of our superstars around the country. You mentioned Yitz Frank, uh, there's Ariel Sadwin in, in Maryland, and there's... Uh, Avi Schnall in New Jersey, and you know, with, this is a, a national movement in Illinois. Where we have Shlomo Soroka. Uh, it's just, it's, it's a pleasure to see, and there have been so many tangible achievements over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, you know, that that to me is uh, something that we should all be very proud of. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's so timely. You mentioned that as um, <clears throat> there was a state that just signed into law, um, a, a, you know, a bill that does not allow schools to teach children about matters of gender and transgender, et cetera, um, at a young age. Unfortunately, it became political and they nicknamed it, um, you know, the, the opposing, uh, you know, parties or so, um, and now companies, unfortunately. But they, they gave it nicknames and, you know, it, it kind of became a little political. Are you nervous that school choice is becoming political? And if so, what's the best way to make it not political? It's a great question, and it's a real challenge. Um, but uh, Senator Moynihan introduced a bill in the in the United States Senate for, for tuition tax credits, uh, and at that time it was not considered an issue which would divide Democrats and Republicans along party lines. Right? It was a general perception that this was an issue of justice, and this was something to uh, an acknowledgement of parental rights. 
in, in choosing the right appropriate education for their child. And Democrats and Republicans alike uh, both were at least within the realm of, of supporting these types of programs. The issue for, more frequently was, is it constitutionally permissible? The issue was, uh, you know, is there money in the budget for this kind of thing? But in principle, uh, this was not a Democratic versus Republican issue. Over the years, unfortunately, it has so become. Uh, the teachers unions, which are very powerful, particularly in the Democratic Party, uh, have, have taken a very strong stance against uh, any of these educational choice programs, which would uh, strengthen the hands of parents who want to enroll their children in non-public schools for religious reasons or other reasons. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, we have found uh, that uh, we encounter quite a bit of opposition on a political front. How do we make this non-political? Um, I think that the strategy needs to be, and we've been working on this in a number of different ways, to expand the coalition of those who are supportive and bring in some who would uh, traditionally be seen as powerful forces in the Democratic Party also, and to say that even from, from, the, from those sources of, for example, the African-American community, there are many in the African-American community at the grassroots who are very prominent in the school choice movement. And, we're, and we've been making efforts to expand the coalition to have them play significant roles uh, in, this, uh, in this effort, uh, which could, we hope, uh, maybe change the landscape a bit in terms of what positions a democratic politician uh, 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 candidate might be able to take in any given uh, on any given bill or proposed legislation uh, that would uh, in, enhance the, the power of parents to enroll their children in private schools. The Orthodox community is said to be, and I'm just you know saying what I've heard, and it's probably around seventy or eighty or eighty plus percent. Uh, more conservative leaning in their politics um, and the, you know, Jews in general, <clears throat> it's <clears throat> including all Jews. It's, you know, really the exact opposite um, towards, you know, in the democratic um, it, it side. And, you know, being that you represent, um, you know, Torah observant Jewry, how do you stay bi bipartisan? I, I presume you don't endorse candidates, um, but being that the Orthodox community has that rep, how do you maintain bipartisanship? So it's, a, it's another, another terrific question and uh, also a big challenge. Uh, having grown up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, I know very well what uh, you know, uh, a, a liberal perspective or a progressive perspective on the world uh, looks like. Um, Yes, it probably is true that on, with respect to the social issues, many, many social issues, uh, the ones who hew to a more traditional uh, perspective uh, tend to be on the Republican side of the ledger um, and others tend to be on the uh, Democratic side and, and fewer tend to be on the Democratic side of the ledger. So uh, with respect to those issues, at least, yes, uh, that's, that's a real, that's something where, where inevitably our, our community is going to identify more closely with uh, those who take the more traditional view on these social issues. Uh, at the same time, there are uh, other things. I mean, we, we like, what, what we like to do is emphasize as much as possible uh, the positive things that uh, we can achieve and obtain through whomever happens to be in power. And we try to work with them and find issues that uh, they can be supportive as well, even if we're going to disagree on, on some of the most basic uh, social issues that we've been talking about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, our goal is 
uh, to work with both on both sides of the aisle. Uh, that uh, our, our goal is to work with whomever it is that is the uh, currently in office at the, in the White House or in Congress or wherever it may be at the state legislative level. Um, these are the people who, uh, who wield the authority of, of government, which affects our lives very, very strongly. And it's up to us uh, in a non-ideological way to make sure that we work with them uh, and, 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 uh, and, and do what we, need, what we need to do and can do uh, that ultimately will translate to the benefit of the community. So we are scrupulous in maintaining a nonpartisan, um, you know, a, vene a, a, a veneer of of, uh, of of being on both sides of the aisle, and we are on both sides of the aisle. Um, and uh, I, I know that many, many, uh, many, many Orthodox Jews live in communities uh, where their elected representatives are Democrats, and nonetheless, we work closely with them. Uh, and uh, often in, in those local elections where somebody has been good to our community and is running for re-election, uh, that person will get a majority of our community's vote. So, you know, it's a complicated uh, situation. We certainly have every interest uh, in the moral issues and speak out clearly on the moral issues where we stand on them, the social issues. Uh, we, we're, not, we're not inhibited in, in terms of the positions that we take. Uh, and we're, you know, we respectfully disagree and and criticize even uh, sometimes positions that are contrary to those fundamental moral beliefs. But uh, at the same time, as I said, respectfully, and we always find try to find ways in which we can highlight uh, cooperation uh, with everybody on both sides of the aisle. It's wow. I don't know where to respond because there's so many things that you just said that are uh, very close to home here in. Um, in our district, third district of Ohio, we have a Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, um, who's a, a wonderful African-American lady, a strong uh, leader in the Democratic Party, chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Yes, she's a close friend of ours. She's been on uh, COLO programs uh, three times, actually, uh, a guest on this show also. And she's a big supporter of the state of Israel. And I, and I think that you're right, even if there are a lot of things that uh, and fundamental things that we may have to look aside or even at times, um, you know, share what the Torah uh, view is, that doesn't it's not all or nothing. And and I'll give a shout out to someone who I thought did such a wonderful job on this is Rabbi Schnell, Rabbi Avi Schnell with Governor Murphy in New Jersey. And that kind of leads me to my next uh, segment over here, um, as we would say, me Indian, Indian, but also Indian from one topic to another within one larger topic. Um, Governor Murphy um, may not um, sympathize with Torah views on many social issues, yet when it came to um, a good of Israel and a lot of the issues that are very sensitive to the Jewish community and the Torah observing community, uh, he was there for them. I think, you know, COVID took it you know, 10 levels higher, how he worked with them. And if you just look, you know, the state up north, um, now, by the way, for those listening um, in Columbus, state up north could mean Michigan when it's Michigan and Ohio State. It could, um, but in this context, the state up north refers to New York. Um, it was a very different relationship. Um, that that must have been a very, very challenging time. I know that Agudath Israel um, prides itself in following the leading rabbinic figures of the generation, um, and you know, the, known to you as the Moetzes, the the leading Torah um, personalities, um, are you comfortable sharing with us what their advice was when you had this contrast? Governor Murphy working with 
Rabbi Schnell so closely and like, like, what can we do to help? How can we work together versus what you had with Governor Cuomo, which was just polar opposite. And it's like public. It's not even something that is hidden. Um, how did um, your Das Torah, your Torah leadership and authorities, how did they guide you in that dynamic? Well, last year, was it last year? A year and a half ago where time flies when you're in COVID, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Everything blends one day into the next, and that's the way it is. But um, there was a case that uh, that we brought, a litigation that we brought against Governor Cuomo, a good official of America versus Cuomo, went all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and uh, where by a vote of five to four, we actually prevailed in our challenge against one of his executive orders that uh, – basically took a harsher stance with respect to houses of worship uh, in terms of their uh, being uh, accessible during the uh, during the, uh, the times of the pandemic uh, after it had slowed down and there were certain uh, certain other uh, institutions which were considered essential uh, which uh, the governor decided those things could stay open and would and would remain open things like you know tattoo parlors and things like that those essential kind of things but houses of worship, could not. Uh, and uh, this reflected, I guess, a certain, uh, you know, a, a value judgment on his part uh, that certain things are more essential than others. Uh, we didn't like that. Uh, and uh, we also don't like going to court and, and suing the governor of a state where there are so many observant Jews uh, and where you need to have a, an ongoing relationship, as I discussed earlier, you, ne- you need to have that con- that. that dialogue, that open line of communication between yourselves and the and the leaders of the of, of the government. Uh, but this was just, just something which was so offensive uh, and not only to us but to but to uh, religious communities of other faiths as well. Uh, and uh, we felt that there was an important position of uh, a, a principle of, uh, of, of of acknowledging the proper role that religion has in society. Uh, which the governor, which the governor was just had had uh, you know cavalierly almost uh, uh, re- re- relegated us to to a second tier of uh, of, of importance, uh, and that that was an issue which was which merited us taking the extraordinary step of actually suing the governor and taking that lawsuit not only at the, to the district court and not only to the uh, circuit court of appeals. But all the way to the United States Supreme Court, and uh, what can I say? We were thrilled and delighted when uh, when we uh, emerged victorious. Uh, and when somebody asked me at the time, does this now mean that we're going to take a more militant stance on behalf of our community in general moving forward? I said, you know, it's a case by case determination, and happily we have uh, Gedali Israel who see the world through a, a prism of. You know, Yisrael Ben Ho'amim, what is the role of the Jewish people amongst the nations when, the, when we live in, as part of a larger society? What is the proper role? How does, how, how does the Torah instruct us to behave? How does the Torah instruct us to conduct ourselves? What are, what are the issues that, that the Torah would want us to take a firm stance on, such as we did for opening the shuls? Uh, and what are the issues where, uh, you know, just do whatever we can uh, behind the scenes through some sort of a, a more diplomatic uh, approach? Uh, those are questions which we pose to our senior Russia Yeshiva and Rabbanim. And I have to say that, uh, you know, this was, this was one of those things which I had understood intellectually before I started working for the Agoda. And I was actually very 
very inspired by this concept that decisions are made not necessarily by board members who uh, contribute a lot of money to an organization. They may make recommendations, but uh, ultimately those board members themselves are attracted to becoming board members of an organization like Agudath Israel, or a lawyer like myself looking, looking perhaps to uh, make a career of working for Kal Yisrael is attracted to that precisely because the decision makers are, are not necessarily the wealthy people, but the people who are steeped in Torah learning and understand and, and, and also who are, who are visited every single day by people who come to them with their problems and their, and their concerns and so on. And what should I do for my child? And, you know, the, 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 all of Kal Yisrael um, puts their, puts their burden on the shoulders of these Gedal Yisrael. And as I've watched, I've had the privilege for close to 40 years now of working closely with them just to see how they assume that level of achrayas, of responsibility, of providing guidance to the klal, to the community, and to the yachid, to the individual. Uh, the, their hours are no hours. They're up at, uh, in the middle of the night receiving visitors and guests, people coming to them to cry, pour out their hearts to them. And it's just an amazing thing to see and an, an inspiration and a privilege uh, to uh, be part of the process uh, where you know the, these true leaders of the Jewish people are the ones We'll make the policy decisions. Wow. It's interesting because on one hand you stand up, we, we do want to stand up for our values. And um, we say this when we return the Torah to the Aaron Kodesh, we say it's the Torah, it's Chaim here, it's a tree of life, but not to, not for anything. It's only Lamach Zikimba if we hold on to it tightly. Um, in this case, I want to, you know, pose another side and um, just to bring out the point, um, Jews are not usually, um, best off when we're in the news, uh, when we're public. Um, and that kind of, you know, we call that, uh, there's a pischein peh, there's like an opening for um, those against us. And there will, they will, you know, they will be there. Um, I think the way to think of anti-Semitism is like in football, you tackle someone who's holding the football. So, you know, the Jewish people, we're holding the football. So, you know, that's kind of how I see it. Um, but, you know, the, the rise of anti-Semitism um, has been tremendous. Just here in Columbus, Ohio, at our local uh, Columbus Torah Academy, um, someone who worked for the school, who had the keys, and someone who uh, was part of the U.S. Marines um, was caught and arrested and apprehended. And it, it could have, thank Hashem, uh, every single moment that it was caught, it could have been another Sandy Hook. Um, do, how do we balance standing up and at times even publicly, but also not, you know, putting too much attention where we're giving that opening for anti-Semitism. How do you walk that fine line? So are we allowed to do a Dvar Torah on this, on this program? <laughs> of course. Kolot means voices. And that's what our show is all about. We need many voices um, because that's, that's what Hashem wants. Yes, please go ahead. So uh, there's a pasuk I don't have. I didn't prepare by Chumash beforehand. I would be, I would read it to you if, uh, if if I had it in front of me. But there's a pasuk. Uh, I believe it's in Parshas Vayelach, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which speaks about that there will come a point in time when the Jewish people will encounter Ra'os, Rabos, Vitzaros. Ra'os, Rabos, many bad things. Vitzaros and Saros. What's the difference between Ra'os, Rabos, and Saros? So uh, we're studying, we're learning Mesechtas Yavamus now in uh, in Dafyomi. For those of you who are uh, tuned in with the program, we, we we might want to talk about that also. Yes, uh, we will. 
<laughs> but uh, but the word tsara, as those of you who have learned the very first Mishnah in Yavamas would know, tsara means uh, two women who are competitors with one another for their for their husbands, for their husband. Meaning a man marry, is married to two women. The relationship, right, which in the olden days was permitted, right, in, in that early tukufa, in that early period of time, there was uh, there was no prohibition against a man marry, having multiple wives. So if a man is married to more than one woman, says the Mishnah, those those two women, the two wives, are in positions of being tsaros. Tsaros means, in a certain sense, competitors, competitors to one another. So the Gemara says that Raos, Rabos, Vitsaros, there will come a time when the Jewish people face many bad things, Vitsaros, which become competitors to one another. And the Gemara says, Kigon Zibura Viakraba. And this refers to a, a bee and a, and a, and a scorpion. And, and, the, and the Gemara says that if a person is stung by a bee, then uh, warm water is the way to uh, heal the wound. Uh, put your finger, which was stung, put it into warm water. If you're stung by a scorpion, cold water is the is the remedy. Uh, but then the Gemara says, "V'chilufa sakanta." If you take cold water for the for the for the scorpion and uh, or the bee rather, and and hot water for the scorpion, you do the opposite. That's a danger. That's a scorp. That, that that's that that's no good. That's not a, not going to heal you. It's going to be a danger for you. So Misha this poor fellow who gets stung both by a bee and a scorpion, he doesn't know what to do. If he puts, he tries to relieve the, uh, the, the the pain of the of the of the bee bite, or the, then it's going to be a sakana for the, as a result of the scorpion bite, and vice versa. He doesn't know what to do. And the dasakena mibaletosos adds, kachen sarosein shal yisrael begolos. The problems that Klai Yisrael face in Golos are exactly like this. That when the nations of the world start up with them, they, they show themselves to be anti-Semites. The Jew doesn't know what to do. Should he fight back and, and, and call out against them and, 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 and stand up for his rights and go against them? Well, they're just going to bring reinforcements of the troops. And ultimately, they're a lot stronger physically than we are. Right. So what then should he do? Should he just turn the other way and, and forget about it, allow himself to be uh, you know, trampled upon? Well, that will only encourage the anti-Semites to do it even more. So what do you do? Right. Exactly your question, right? Hello, right. You, this is it. You were you had you 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 have you have Baruch Shakivanti. That's right. You came to the Kasha of the Dasakani Balitosis. And what does the Dasakani Balitosis answer? Nothing. Because this, he says, is the eternal condition of the Jew in the, the dilemma, the challenge that the Jew faces when surrounded by the anti-Semites. It's a, a case of Zibura v'yakraba. We don't know exactly what to do. Uh, and so again, they're the, uh, the, um, the solace that I take is uh, that there is a... Uh, you know, leadership from Torah authorities uh, who give us our advice in this, but um, but but the question that you ask is one which I think is uh, uh, is, is an unanswerable question, uh, and um, and uh, it, it is it is part of the the eternal condition of Gullus, uh, and we're discovering that here in the United States now as well. We thought we came to this country. Uh, as we said before, the land of the free and the home of the brave, and that our real issue is assimilation, and it is, right? And it absolutely is. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we discover, though, that in terms of 
uh, our safety and security in this country. You know, I just uh, heard the the, the uh, radio program this morning, 10-10 wins in New York. I heard the, I heard the news. And, and almost every day you hear about another attack against Jews, whether this, uh, this Shabbos, there was an attack on a Hasidah Shayid walking the streets of Williamsburg. Last night, apparently, there was an attack on the Upper West Side of Manhattan uh, against a group of Jewish teenage boys. Uh, so, you know, these things are happening. They're happening in, 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 with increasing frequency, alarmingly increasing frequency. We have to obviously do what we can um, uh, to enhance the security of our Mostas HaTorah, of our, of our yeshivas, of our shuls, and so on. Uh, but at the same time, recognize that, again, this is part of the essential nature of the Golas uh, experience to which Kal Yisrael has been condemned as a result of our uh, shortcomings. Uh, and that ultimately the redemption must come directly from HaKadosh Baruch You know, it's interesting because I did want to get to the Siam Hashas, and there is a connection because re- prior to the last Siam Hashas, there was unfortunately that anti-Semitic attack in, uh, I think it was in Mansi at the end of Hanukkah, a terrible, terrible um, attack. And I think there was like some, you know, whispering, like are people going to be nervous to come to MetLife? That's like, you know, the biggest of uh, all, um, you know, targets, so to speak. And, uh, or Hashem, you know, it a uh, hundred thousand people um, or so did come out. Um, can you getting to the Siam Hashas because um, that's a big part of the Agoda. We didn't even get to the convention. I guess we're gonna have to do a second uh, a second take. But um, getting to the Siam Hashas, I mean, that's that's just a massive massive operation. Um, it's thankfully only. Well, I shouldn't say thankfully, but it's only every seven and some change years. Um, what does that process look like? Well, we, we started working on it uh, about three years before the Siyum, right? It's a seven and a half year cycle of going through the uh, Dafyomi, and we feel very proud that this in, the, the concept was introduced at, uh, we can call it a convention, the first Knesia Gedola of, uh, of Agudas Yisrael back in Poland. Uh, and uh, its introducer, Rabbi Meir Shapiro, uh, the Lublina Rav, uh, had this idea, remember we spoke about how Agudas Yisrael is supposed to unite Jews from different backgrounds and different customs and so on and so forth, and he said, well, yes, that's what we're all about, but ha- what, what is it that unites us? What is it that makes us one people? It's the Torah. When we receive the Torah, that's what, right. that's what makes us one people. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and therefore, why don't we have this a brilliant idea of of having everybody from where, wherever they may be and from whatever background they may come to study the same page of Talmud on the same day and work and work its way through all of Shas, through the entirety of the, of the, of the Talmud, the 2,711 pages over the course of seven and a half years. And we're all learning the same thing. Some of us may be learning it in English, some in, in, in Hebrew, some in French, some in Spanish. Uh, who knows? But the, but the bottom line is we're all learning Abaye Verava. We're, we're all learning Beishamay and Beishol, and it's, and it's uniting us. Uh, so this is something we're very proud about. And, uh, and, and organically, it just kind of took off from, from the time when the earlier Siyumim, which was just you know, a, group, a small group of people would get together. Uh, and um, uh, and it has grown to the point where largely because of uh, uh, I think innovations like the uh, the Schottenstein Talmud. Have you heard of Schottenstein uh, Talmud? <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> okay. Um, so so you know and and other things like that that have brought the Talmud that have brought the Gemara to uh, you know extended the reach 
of, of Limud Torah and, and Limud, Limud Gemara in a remarkable way, right? Uh, and, and so many other innovative programs that enable people to connect to learning, whether it's a tech, a, through te, new technologies and other, other things like that. Magide Shir all over the place with recorded shiurim. And it's just, it's, it's something which people understand, in fact, connects them to, to, the, to the eternal source and connects them with one another. And I like to think connects the generations as well. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, uh, connected to my Zaidi when I when I when I learned the Gemara Yavamis that we're supposed to be that he would have studied today. Um, and um, so anyway, this is this is something which we're very proud of, and we spend around two three years working on it. The year uh, before the actual siyum uh, uh, is some is the the intensity of it is is incredible. Uh, I am. Uh, uh, you know, I, I get, I have the luxury of uh, kind of just sitting off to the side a little bit and ha- having all the incredible workers who uh, who put this together do all the good work, and then I get all the praise for it. You know, it's <laughs> one of those things which are totally unfair in life, but uh, so it so it goes. Um, but it, uh, w- you know, what's particularly gratifying is is the day of the Siyamashas and the day after the Siyamashas. Uh, you know, the fact that the Siyam itself inspires so many people to embrace the idea of spending an hour a day and learning Torah. And we've discovered, by the way, that some people are not ready for a blot a day, a blot a daf yomi, a blot gemara every day. But again, even just being setting aside a specific amount of time and, and making it a kfiyas, making it something which is, which is uh, you know, it's part of your day. It's just that you're not going to go to sleep at night without having spent some time connected to the source of what Judaism is all about, the Torah, right? That's something which has emerged, I think, and has been inspired and aided and abetted, as we lawyers would say, uh, by the Sia Mashas that, uh, that we're privileged to host. Uh, and we look forward, Be'ez Hashem, we're, uh, we're, we're almost halfway to the next one. Uh, we're about, what, three years out of seven years, so close. Uh, and uh, looking very much forward to once again celebrating with Kali Yisrael. You know, it's interesting. You, um, we were privileged to bring Rabbi Fran to Columbus a, uh, two or three weeks after that. And he said, you know, Daf Yomi may not be for everyone, but that's just the Daf part. The Yomi part is mm-hmm. the daily part is for yeah. everyone. And the experience is really something. I, I'm, I'm very privileged that my father has brought me to the Sima Shas, even when it was at Madison Square Garden. Um, and this past time, it was it was it was a, it really was an emotional scene for me, um, <clears throat> having my father uh, grow grow up reform, and now he's um, finished. He's in his fourth cycle of Dafyomi um, with with uh, you know to celebrate with him um, and my 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 brothers together with my father. It was just an incredible uh, simcha and joy that you can't really um, you you can't describe. Um, and it was a cold day. Um, Jay Schottenstein told me that when, uh, you know, when Shlaimi uh, Werdiger uh, talked to him about the Siyama Shas, uh, Jay said, Shlaimi, why, why don't we do this in Florida? And, uh, you know, but Shlaimi said, no, don't worry, we'll, we'll pack up MetLife Stadium. And they did. Um, it, it was something uh, remarkable. I think the... I like to think, if I may, that, you know, Kali Yisrael gathered together 90,000 strong, brave the weather, brave the elements, right? And, you know, we had so much it was such a joyous experience and inspirational experience, but I'd like to think that it was a joyous experience for Hashem also. He was looking down and, and, and saw this, the incredible, the gathering of his children, his, his kindle from all different backgrounds, getting together to, 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 to celebrate the unity amongst themselves and, to, and their unity with the Torah. 
uh, something that that great gave him tremendous amount of nachas. And you know, when 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 our tatig has nachas from us, then he finds ways of saying thank you for bringing him nachas. May Hashem, in fact, bless us uh, with, uh, with 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 um, you know, the ability to continue serving him uh, and 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 feeling connected to him through the study of Torah. There's nothing. There's nothing more, and there's nothing greater. Absolutely. My and my final question, Rabbi Zwiebel. First of all, you've been very generous with your time, and and this was really a, a delightful conversation. Um, but in Columbus, Ohio, we also have a Siyama Torah. We do it every single year. And uh, we actually have the chairman of Agudath Israel um, going to be delivering our keynote. What would it take to get Rabbi Zwiebel to join our CM here in Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> well, if the chairman needs a bodyguard or something like that. <laughs> or an attorney. <laughs> or an attorney, as the case may be. Uh, the answer is actually, I, I love visiting communities. Uh, I don't do it often enough. I don't really have the time to do it as much as I wish I, I could. Uh, but I have, I have grown, I know, uh, just by observing, you know, there's a, a phrase in the Talmud, Bolo Lamed Veninsa Lamed, that uh, you, you come to teach, and it turns out that you learn. Uh, I'm invited to communities sometimes, pre- purportedly as a teacher, right? It's supposed to, it's supposed to convey something to, that, that, that people would appreciate. Uh, and could be I do, could be I don't, but I certainly walk away from the experience, having grown from the experience and learning a lot from my host community. So, uh, Columbus has not yet been uh, one of my uh, my destination points. Uh, I hope one day, Be'ez Hashem, we'll have a chance to 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 do it face to face. Amazing. We we covered so much ground from Rabbi Sheriff to uh, Rabbi Elimelech Tress to uh, school choice, politics, anti-Semitism, CMS Shas. We covered so much. We didn't get to the convention yet. Maybe we'll save that uh, uh, before the next year's a convention. Um, but we did have one baseball and one football. Uh, yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> managed to squeeze that in too, which is good. That's right. We'll never miss. Okay, Rabbi Zwiebel, thank you. Um, you're such a humble man and unov and it's sadik and um, really, really privileged to have you on this show. And may Hashem bless you, your organization, your incredible team at the Aguda. We didn't even mention some of the others, right? Uh, Shai Marko, uh, Markowitz. Markowitz, right. right yeah, sure. un- incredible staff. Absolute superstar. Yeah. So Hashem bless you and your team um, with much continued success. Hatzlach, as we, uh, could try, we try to continue our strong Torah Jewry here in America. So thank you for joining us. Amen and thank you. To listen to all Kolot episodes and see upcoming guests, visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolel, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men, and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.